1: We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good, now you are ready to enter the warning woods. Recycling. It's good for the environment, right? I suppose in a perfect world full of best-case scenarios, it would be. In my town, recycling indirectly led to a different kind of pollution, and it was far scarier than a little smog. It started with the mayor's announcement of a lithium battery recovery program. Citizens could bring their laptop, power tool, and other rechargeable lithium batteries to the waste recovery plant for a small cash reward. If you had an electric vehicle battery, you could really cash in and receive a whopping ten bucks for your trouble. Some people, such as myself, wondered exactly how the batteries would be recycled. Mayor Wright and those loyal to her remained adamant that we, as in humanity, will make significant advancements in battery recycling technology in the next few years. In her announcement of the program, Mayor Wright said, When such technology comes into common use, we will have saved hundreds of lithium batteries from landfills. Other cities and towns have implemented similar programs. We are all preparing for a better future. I'm sure she was right about the other cities and towns, but I'm curious to know how they all store their used up batteries. I have a feeling their systems are a little more elegant than ours. Our waste recovery plant itself is small, but we do have a decent swath of land just outside of town. It's where we dump larger recyclable items—bikes, refrigerators, washing machines, and the like. It's also where, after the mayor implemented her program, we started building a large pile of lithium-ion batteries. After a year of the new program, we had a sizable pile of batteries that we took to calling Mount Wright, named after the mayor, of course. Mount Wright stands a little taller than me, and I'm 6'2", plus a little extra with a hard hat on. At its base, the mound is roughly as wide as five burly men standing shoulder to shoulder. In short, it's an enormous pile of energy-storing devices out in an open yard. The real story started just three days ago on May 10th. The weather reports kept calling the system a windstorm, but I knew from the way my skin prickled every time I stepped outside we were in for something a little more electric. The storm rolled in fast. My coworkers and I watched it come down the mountains, flashing sporadically as it approached. Then we were hit with the low, warm wind that always precedes a nasty storm. Our supervisor called everyone inside and told us to stay away from the windows. But of course, we all ignored the second command. We were glued to the windows by that inexplicable draw that pulls us towards the violence of nature. That strange desire to be as close to the danger as possible. Most of the lightning remained above, spiderwebbing through the clouds and making the storm look like an enormous brain of sorts. As I watched through rain-spattered glass, a single bolt of lightning struck the top of Mount Wright. It connected with the batteries, writhing like an electric snake, for almost three seconds. Some of the batteries near the top started glowing orange. A few exploded, although I couldn't hear them over the booming thunder that rattled the glass. After the lightning bolt finally separated from Mount Wright, I still saw little flashes now and then coming from within the battery pile. They made me wonder if it would be safe to go near when the storm was over. All those batteries had just been zapped with god knows how much electricity. Were they stable? Were they primed to explode like those few at the top had? The storm died down eventually, and so did the flashes and crackling from Mount Wright. I still felt a bit of a buzz when I worked up the nerve to approach the batteries, but I thought it might be psychosomatic. I'd seen danger so I assumed danger. I finished the day's work without incident, though. The batteries seemed fine. I went to June's Saloon, a terrible name, I know, as I usually do on Friday nights. I planned to meet friends, but I arrived first, so I ordered a beer to keep me company while I waited. About five minutes later, someone tapped me on the shoulder. I thought it was one of my friends. Then a voice I didn't recognize said, "'Excuse me,' I think I might be lost. I turned halfway around to see who had bothered me. He was a young guy, no older than 19 or 20, dressed in a dirty combat uniform. "'I think you might be,' I said. "'You even old enough to drink?' "'Uh, no, sir. Am I in a bar?' he asked stupidly. "'No, this is the public library,' I replied. "'Yeah, if you're old enough to die for this country, you should be able to have a beer in it. Have a seat, soldier.' I gestured to the empty bar stool to my right. Thank you, sir. As he sat, he said, I'm not sure how I got here. Last thing I remember, I was in Iraq with... I didn't hear the rest of what he said because when he sat next to me, I saw the side of his head, or rather, what was left of it. A fleshy, gaping wound complete with a dangling piece of bone stared at me from behind his ear. Uh, you... you're hurt, son, I stammered. I practically fell off my stool, then started backing away. June, the owner and bartender, noticed this interaction and came to see what was going on. Everything okay, boys? She asked, giving me a suspicious glare. I'm sorry ma'am, I don't mean to cause any trouble. I'm just not sure where I am, the soldier said. He gestured broadly and turned his head to look around the bar. That's when June got to look into his brain like I had. She didn't act as cool as me she screamed. She screamed bloody murder. Every head turned toward us as June powered through the saloon door behind the bar and disappeared into the back. In the stillness she left behind, I heard the bar's back door slam shut. "'What's happening?' the soldier asked, understandably frightened. "'You just sit tight, kid. I'm gonna get you some help,' I said. I hurried out the front door. Nearly every other patron followed close behind. There was a woman standing outside. I nearly collided with her as I stepped onto the sidewalk. What's going on? She asked. Nothing to worry about, miss. I lied. I just wouldn't go into June's right now if I were you. June's? She asked. The bar, I said, pointing behind me. Oh, could you tell me where the train station is? My head was still spinning from seeing the living dead man in the bar. So when this woman asked me about a train station, a train station our town has never had, I looked around at the small crowd hoping for someone else to answer. I received blank, dumb stares in return. Uh, miss, we don't have a train station anywhere near here, I said. She looked like she was going to cry. Why don't you come with me? I'm going to get help for someone else, I offered. She replied with a shy smile and a nod. Then she took a step forward, only her knee folded inward and her leg collapsed in half. The other leg gave out too. She landed on the ground in a misshapen heap and started dragging herself along the sidewalk. Her back was soaked in blood, and a rib was poking through her shirt. Run! someone shouted. I did just that. The woman on the sidewalk cried after us. No, wait, please, I don't know what's wrong with me, I just need to find the train station. I left the woman there and went straight home. I didn't call for help or tell anyone else what happened. I figured there were at least a dozen other people who had seen the train station lady, and one of them could make the lunatic 911 call if they wanted to. I momentarily forgot all about the soldier at the bar. On my short walk home, I noticed a few strangers. Not that I know everybody in town, but I just happened to observe a larger number of unfamiliar people around me that night. I didn't look at any of them long enough to tell if they had ghastly wounds or fatal injuries. I just wanted to be home. I got woken up by a call around 7 the next morning. Since it was Saturday and I was supposed to be off, I ignored the call when I saw it was from a work number. I'm a top-notch employee when I'm on the clock, but when I'm off, I'm off. Whoever was calling dialed me a second time, so I begrudgingly picked up the phone. The caller was a newer guy named Sadiq. I had trained him recently. He sounded nervous. Hey boss, there's something weird happening at work he said in a shaky voice. I'm not your boss. Just spit it out, will ya? I want to get back to bed, I replied. Sorry, I wouldn't have called if this wasn't important, I promise. You're still not telling me why you called, kid, I said, losing what little patience I had. He sounded extra nervous when he said, I know, sorry, I just don't know how to say this. People are walking out of the batteries. I think Sadiq thought I'd laugh at him or get mad. I pictured him on the other end of the line shrinking into himself. But, after the previous night, I couldn't laugh. I can't necessarily say I believed him entirely, but I certainly didn't blow him off. Anyone else seen this happening? I asked abruptly. Well, no. Good. I'm coming in. Just sit tight, I said. And don't talk to any of those people you're seeing, got it? Oh, don't worry, I won't. I'm... I'm hiding. He sounded embarrassed, but I couldn't blame him. I assured him I was on my way and headed over to the waste recovery plant. On my way, I passed four strangers walking on the side of the road. They all stared blankly ahead as if totally lost. I intentionally kept my own stares short to avoid seeing anything horrific like the two people at June's saloon. One of the strangers' bloody, torn shirt caught my attention, though. (laughs) If Sadiq was right, these detached departed were coming from Mount Wright. But why? How? I had a suspicion their appearance had something to do with the lightning strike. But lightning strikes all the time, and we don't have ghosts wandering around the streets of every town and city in America. What made Mount Wright so special? I pulled into the staff parking lot and quietly made my way inside the building. I'm not sure why I wanted to be quiet, but it seemed appropriate. I found Sadiq in the bathroom sitting on a closed toilet. All right, I'm here as promised, I said, trying to sound confident and keep my voice from shaking. Sadiq just nodded as he stood. Follow me, he whispered. We walked down the hall towards the open office area, which had a large window looking out over the scrapyard. In the middle of the landscape, like the world's ugliest centerpiece, sat Mount Wright. I can't go so far as to say the batteries were glowing But Mount Wright had a sort of aura. Have you ever seen the heat off a road vibrate the air in summer? Something similar was happening to the air around the pile of batteries. Only they shouldn't have been hot. If you watch long enough, you'll see one, Sadiq whispered. I swear it on my life. I said, take it easy, son. I believe you. There's been strange folk walking around town that gotta be coming from somewhere. I did some research while I waited for you. Sadiq said. I asked, how exactly does one research something like this? I searched for ghosts and electricity, and I guess I got lucky. This one article said, an arm reached out of Mount Wright. It seemed to materialize on the edge of that vibrating aura. A leg formed next, and the rest of a woman appeared, and she stepped away from the batteries. She started walking, looking every which way to take in her surroundings. She appeared lost and bewildered like the others. At least, that's the impression I got from her one eye. The other had been lost when her skull was crushed. Her jaw hung crooked and her nose looked like a bloody sponge. Sadiq gagged. I took a long, deep breath and murmured, "'You were saying?' "'What happened to her?' Sadiq whispered, his eyes still locked on the apparition. "'If I knew, I'd probably try to forget,' I replied." Then I pushed Sadiq a little and gave his shoulder a shake. He turned to me, looking like, well, like he had just seen a ghost. Come on, man, I insisted. Keep your head on straight and tell me whatever you read. Okay, okay, right. So, there's this whole online community dedicated to ghosts and spirits and that kind of stuff. They wrote a whole thread about how electrical charges might be what allow ghosts to appear visibly. Like, if you've got bad wiring in your house... Ghosts might be able to use the leaking energy to appear. That sounds like nonsense, I said. Sadiq surprised me with an angry scowl, and he pointed out the window. People are appearing out of a pile of dead batteries. How is that for some nonsense? All right, all right, maybe you're onto something, I admitted. I told him about the lightning the day before, recalling how the bolt seemed to be absorbed into Mount Wright as if the pile was one enormous battery. So what should we do? I asked. Can we just wait this out until the charge goes away?" We could, Sadiq replied, but there's a risk. Maybe a huge risk. Don't be vague, I scolded. Well, a charge this strong that's attracting this many spirits could… It could… Spit it out! Out of everyone who could have seen the apparitions, it just had to be timid little Sadiq, I thought irritably. This much energy could attract something for lack of a better term, evil, a darker spirit, something that could try to do harm instead of just walking around like a zombie. I think we should burn them. Burn the batteries? I asked, shocked at such an absurd and dangerous suggestion. How else can we destroy them? Sadiq retorted. I don't really want to touch them, and I don't want to know what might happen if we try to separate them from each other. Look at that thing. It's not just a pile of batteries anymore. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. If we light them on fire, every one of those batteries is going to explode, I replied. We'll burn this whole joint down, maybe the whole city. It's just not an option, kid. I knew you wouldn't take this seriously. Sadiq knelt into a squat, then sat on the floor. He reminded me of a toddler throwing a quiet revolt. I'm just trying to think, I said, attempting to soothe him. There must be a way to drain the elect. I trailed off because I saw something else outside the window. The magnet. We have a crane equipped with a flying saucer-shaped magnet for lifting cars and tractors and the like. Trying to think back to the science classes I'd paid so little attention in, I devised a plan. Stay here, I told Sadiq. He didn't respond, so I ran outside into the yard. I kept my fingers crossed that he was wrong about some dark entity using the battery portal. It would be just my luck if some demon chose that moment to emerge, while me and my soft, unguarded flesh were just within reach. I took the long route to the crane to avoid stepping near the batteries. I didn't want to become a ghost myself. I heard pounding on the window, so I turned back. The sun was hitting the glass just right to hide everything inside from my view. I shrugged at Sadiq, assuming he was watching me, and kept moving toward the crane. Once there, I started climbing inside. A shrill squawk nearly caused me to lose my grip on the ladder. The intercom. The intercom. We have speakers set up around the premises, so those inside can communicate with those working in the yard. Sadiq's voice came through the speakers, breathless and desperate. Turn around, hurry up, he shouted. Two incompatible orders. I rolled my eyes and turned to look as I got situated in the crane seat. The aura around Mount Wright had started to vibrate more violently. I could see distinct waves rippling through it. I couldn't be sure what that meant but it made me real nervous. I got the crane ready and powered up the magnet. I had to be careful not to drop it too low before I got it situated above Mount Wright. As I swung the magnet over, I saw the aura darken. Within seconds, it was nearly opaque. Some sort of dense gray fog had filled it. My skin prickled like it had during the storm. Whatever was coming was not good. I finally got the magnet above the batteries and slowly began to drop it. I had no idea if the plan would work, but now I desperately needed it to. I thought that maybe the powerful electromagnetic field might somehow zap the batteries, drain their energy, or at least disrupt the ability of spirits to materialize through them. The darkness inside the aura moved, focusing on the descending magnet. It looked like an upside-down snow globe, except the snow was nearly black. Some of the batteries started to shift, shaking loose. A couple zipped up and stuck to the magnet. Sadiq's voice burst out of the speakers again. Stop, you're going to set it free. Maybe he was right. I reached for the switch to shut off the magnet, but at that exact moment, the aura burst like a balloon. The dark mass inside split apart in a thousand directions like a sandcastle built with a hidden grenade inside. And then, nothing. A powerful, sinister nothing. I wasn't sure whether to feel relieved or terrified. Had that thing been destroyed or released? Had I killed it or just set it free? Well, over the last couple of days, there hasn't been a single ghost sighting. No mortally wounded patrons at June's Saloon where I've spent many of the past 48 hours. I swore Sadiq to secrecy and he agreed because I think he feels complicit in what I did which hopefully brought an end to this town's brief curse and didn't just create another, more threatening one. Either way, I'm going to have a talk with the mayor about those batteries. They might be dead, but we can't risk them connecting to other dead things anymore. You made it out. Congratulations! If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at Patreon.com/slash/TheWarningWoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at TheWarningWoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey